this series on fivefold gifting. I believe John preached last week. And I do think we are in an age in the global church where this understanding of fivefold team, fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and shepherd is being restored to the church and being restored to missional movement in a really vital way. It's not a new teaching. The things we're giving you aren't new. There's threads of these things all the way through Christian history. But it does feel like in these days, as we near the return of the king, that Jesus is giving his church in a fresh way language to talk about these realities so that we can understand how God works among us and be submissive to his will as we follow him and understand our identity in the team that he's given us. This may have already been said in this series. I'm not sure. But these giftings, which are listed in Ephesians 4, and I think you read that passage last week, um, I really understand them to be part of our identity. I think there's a sense in which if you're apostolic, uh, you will be that in glory. Um, If you're prophetic, I don't know how it all works, but I think you will be that in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, These, unlike other gifts that are talked about in the New Testament, things like, um, you know, having a a word of prophecy for someone or speaking in tongues or having a miracle, you know, ministering in a miracle with someone. um, These, those are things that kind of just manifest spontaneously, even in gatherings like this. But I don't think that's how Paul talks about these gifts in Ephesians. These are identity markers. This is who you are. As a matter of fact, you can tell these giftings in people because they can't help but be these things um, in whatever setting they go into. And I don't know what it looks like when God makes everything new and renews all things and there's no need for the light of the sun because his light is among us. I don't know what all this looks like, you know, when we get to that place. But I think we will fundamentally still be the people that God has made us to be, um, that we were designed to be. So I hope that this series, as you're in it, is helpful for you in the discovery of your identity and stepping into it in a fuller way. And I think I saw John's notes from last week that these identity markers are meant to be in a team. The point is that none of us are the full picture, right? The full package that Jesus has chosen in this age by his spirit to manifest his presence in groups of people, right? And the world gets a clearer picture of Jesus the more that we are in vital submissive relationship with one another. The more we exist in mutuality with each other, the more that the world gets to see Jesus through us. So today I'm going to talk about this apostolic gifting. You probably know um, that it's just been our practice here at the Gospel Tab over the years to not so much use these giftings as titles you know, apostle so-and-so, a prophet so-and-so. I'm not saying that's wrong in all cases. It just hasn't been our practice. Um, We rather talk about function and talk about how people function in certain giftings that have been given to them. So today I'm talking to you about this apostolic function and what does that mean. And to to root that, we're going to look at Romans chapter 15. It's going to be on the screen, but I am going to point to some other scriptures today as well, and hopefully this will clarify Um, some things for you as we go along. It's about what we talk about when we talk about what it means to be apostolic, all right? So I'm going to read this out of Romans 15, beginning in verse 17. Um, It says this. Oh, last time I preached here, there was a screen right here. I'm all thrown off. I'm all (laughs) thrown off. Yeah, I don't even know the tagline anymore. I don't know the color of the connection cards. I do know Steve's email. For sure. All right. Romans 15, verse 17. So this is the Apostle Paul ending his letter to the Romans. Let me just say this before we read this. I think a lot of times we read the Apostle Paul. Let's just talk about this one author in the New Testament that wrote a a big portion in the New Testament. You know, this man who was once a persecutor of Christians and encountered Jesus in a tangible way and then ended up writing most of the New Testament, right? I think we have a tendency to read him in like a self-help kind of way, like a personal morality kind of way, like how can I live better and have better relationships and things like this. And that's not all bad. You'll get some great things out of Paul. But Paul is a missionary, and he writes his letters like a missionary would write his letters. He can't help but be an apostle. This is the calling that has been placed on his life by the resurrected Christ. 
And I find that the more I follow Jesus in mission, the more I lead missionaries, the more I try to empower and serve missionaries, the more I understand Paul and the things that he writes and the things that he says, because he can't, when he writes, he can't help it. He writes as an apostle. He writes with apostolic witness. He writes with apostolic fervor. It's who he is, right? And so you're going to see some description of his calling here in Romans 15, and then we're going to break it down. Um, I'll break it down some as we go along. So it says this, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Now let's just pause there. In leading the Gentiles to obey God. Remember, he's a Jew. The Gentiles are everybody else, right? And God has led the Apostle Paul into city after city in the Roman Empire where people worship gods other than Yahweh, where they know nothing of the story of Jesus or the one true God who created heaven and earth. And it's in Paul's words and actions that he has led people who have not heard about God to begin to obey God. And Paul understands this to be his ministry, right? To proclaim and demonstrate the gospel among the Gentiles. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, which we'll talk about in a second. This is something that follows apostolic witness. Through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Lycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And look at this, verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now, Paul says later uh, elsewhere in the book of Ephesians that it's the apostles and the prophets, these two giftings, that lay the foundation for God's movement in the world. But there's something in, in Paul, in this apostolic witness, that wants to lay new foundations. Um, that it's his ambition not to build ministry on somebody else's foundation, but to lay new foundation. Now, we should ask ourselves, well, why? It's interesting, he uses the word ambition. Because ambition can also be a really selfish thing. It can also be a really self-serving thing. It can be a very... And there's no doubt that people with apostolic gifting can be given to this kind of self-serving attitude, to this kind of, I'm just going to go do my thing kind of attitude. That's what that gifting can look like when it's not in submission to the Spirit of God, right? But I think what Paul is describing here is something pure. He's like, listen, I want to build something new in a place where the gospel is not yet. And this is the, part of the ambition that God has given. And we're going to ask why in just a little bit. Verse 21, rather as it is written, those who, he's quoting out of Isaiah here, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And then interesting, verse 22, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So the Romans are feeling this about Paul. Paul, we want to spend time with you. We want you to be with us. We want you to come visit us and to preach to us. And there's something in Paul that's like, this is why I can't be around you all the time. is because there's something in me that has to lay a new foundation so that those who have not heard can hear. So that people who have no idea who Jesus is, so that corners of the world that have yet to see the manifestation of God's kingdom tangibly on the earth so that those things can be created in the cracks and crevices of the world. And that pulls Paul even away from close relationships. It's interesting, you hear this in all of Paul's letters. When he writes to these churches, he loves these churches. He planted these churches. He invested in these churches, preached to these churches. He loves them. He longs for them. He misses them when he's gone from them. And yet there's this burning ambition in him to go to the place where the gospel is not yet, to go to the neighborhood, to the network of relationships, to the place where a foundation needs to be laid. And I think we're going to see that it's not just so that he can create his own thing, so that he doesn't have to be submitted to anyone. That's not at all what it's like. Um, as a matter of fact, in Paul's journey, he stays very submitted, even to the church in Jerusalem, which was a church that he actually had some tension with. But he stays submitted to them. Paul understands that. And yet there's something in him that's leading him to the next thing and to the next place. So let's just talk about this in broad brushstrokes in the scriptures for a moment. What do we mean when we say that someone is apostolic? 
or that someone is moving an apostolic gifting? Well, first of all, if you're new here to the gospel tab, let me just lay a foundation here for you that we believe that all of these giftings, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, shepherd, that are talked about in Ephesians chapter 4 are still active today. And I know not everybody believes that and not every tradition teaches that. Um, but we have no reason to believe from Scripture that all of these things aren't still active today. It's interesting. Some people will say, well, no, the apostles were the 12. You know, the 12 apostles who often end up in stained glass windows, you know, beautiful stained glass windows. It was just the 12 of them. But if you think about it, the apostle Paul himself who clearly calls himself an apostle, was not one of the 12, right? If you know anything about his story, was he one of Jesus' 12 disciples? No. As a matter of fact, it's why some of the early disciples um, mistrusted or didn't trust him because Paul was claiming to be an apostle, but he hadn't walked the earth with Jesus like they had, right? But he had encountered Jesus, the resurrected Christ, by the Spirit of God, he had encountered the resurrected Christ, at a different time and a different place, and in that account, encounter received that apostolic calling. Moreover, Paul calls both men and women in the New Testament. He uses apostolic language to describe both of them. Our best understanding of the New Testament is that this is a gifting that is still active, and, and we can see evidence of it in the world today. And not to mention that whether you are apostolic or not, I hope in this series you discover something about your gifting. If you're apostolic or prophetic, or if you're more of a shepherd or a teacher or evangelist, I hope that you discover those things about you in this series. But let me tell you this about the apostolic gift, because it's foundational, is that God does use certain people that we might identify as apostles to begin missional movement in a time and a place. But it is in the ancient creeds. Sometimes we say these creeds in our gatherings around communion that we all believe in one holy Catholic, meaning universal, and what? Apostolic church. Which means that the only kind of church that Jesus left is an apostolic one. The only kind of church that Jesus knows about, that Jesus sees, is a missionary church, is a sent church, right? Um, and so whether you are apostolic or not, you are part of this thing called the church that is fundamentally in its nature apostolic, right? And what we've discovered is that when people who even aren't apostolic begin to operate in apostolic movement, they begin to act apostolically. And I'll break this down in a little bit. But it's to say, of all the gifts that are going to be preached on here, this one applies to all of us. This one flavors all of our ministries, this one, in its unique ways, as it mixes with your other gifts, manifests in our lives as we are people sent with God. So it's all of us. That word apostle, it just means to be sent. Particularly, to be sent with good news. It was a word that was used in the ancient world to describe different functions of governments, but it just describes a person who has been sent to a place to announce good news. And this is what we confess when we say that we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, that we, all of us, are missionaries. The question is, you know, if we're a good one or a sleepy one or something, right? But all of us in our identities are missionaries. All of us are sent with good news to the places where he has called us. But God does use certain apostolic people to catalyze missional movement, and then these apostolic movements as they get established begin to nurture and send out new missionaries. It's what we call multiplication, right? The people in those kinds of environments receive their call from God and are sent to do the next thing. So if we were to look at the whole of scripture in the New Testament about what it means to be apostolic, what are some of the things that we would find? Well, I think we'd find some of the following things. In the life of Jesus, who is our chief apostle, amen, and our chief prophet and teacher and all the gifts, right? He's the best at all of them, right? No one laid a foundation like Jesus. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that he is the foundation. Sometimes people start new ministries or new movements or new denominations, and they think they're all that because they started something new. The scripture says there's only one foundation, and it's a person right? It's Jesus. It's not a denomination or a doctrinal distinctive or anything like that. 
It's Jesus. And if we're building on any other foundation, it's not going to last, right? But when we build things in our time and place on the foundation of Jesus, we see missional movement happen. So what did this look like in Jesus's life and the life of the apostles in scripture, including the apostle Paul? Well, there's this ambition, this burning to be sent with good news, to go to the next place. We often describe these people as pioneers or entrepreneurs. They're often starting a new thing. There's often something in them that doesn't want to just build on an old foundation. Uh, they want to be released to build the new thing, and it's how God is working in their life. When you think of apostolic leaders, you should think of spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual big brothers and big sisters. There's something in these folks' way of being that tends to bring in developing leaders close to them and speak into them and develop them. And there is a kind of authority in it too. These leaders often have relational authority to also correct in those relationships, but they're serving, they're lifting up, um, they're empowering. They're often, often success for these folks feels like when the next generation of leader is able to take the reins and run with the thing that God has called them to. They might be the ones to start it but they're happy to pass it on to the next group of leaders. These folks often have a magnetism to them. Uh, there is something that attracts people to the move of God that's happening in them. But there's also a tension in apostolic leaders, and it's that they can also be kind of controversial. And here's why. It's because there's something in apostolic gifting that wants to go to the new place where the foundation has not been that new neighborhood, that new network of relationships, and confront the idolatries there. And so these folks tend to kind of draw people in, but then confront idolatries as well. And what it creates around those leaders is kind of this slingshot of people coming in close and then being shot out to the next place, and coming in close and being shot out to the next place. And for those of you who might be apostolic in the room, a huge issue of your emotional health is learning to be emotionally healthy in this space where controversy surrounds you and to not get caught up on what people think about you or the things that they say about you or the ways that they leave you. Um, because actually that's part of the gifting. It's interesting. Uh, evangelists, which there'll be a sermon on in a few weeks, they have probably out of all the gifts, the most favor with people. Um, you know, evangelists are widely loved. Think about Billy Graham, if you know his story. Like, who didn't love that guy, right? Because he had this powerful evangelistic anointing. on And part of the gifting is to have extraordinary favor with people. Apostolic leaders have some of that, but there's also this controversial thing that will follow them, all right? I heard someone say, actually, one of our church planners in our district said, that to be apostolic is to have seen Jesus, to move in signs and wonders, and to suffer. To have seen Jesus, to move in signs and wonders, and to suffer. That seeing Jesus part, what do I mean? There's a kind of leader that has had a tangible encounter with Jesus that no one can talk them out of. That no suffering can talk them out of. And God puts these leaders in the church because then when the mission is moving forward and a new emerging leader is coming and saying, hey, I planned this outreach and it bombed. There's a leader to say, you know what? God is good and he's still working. And trust me, because I've been to hell and Jesus didn't abandon me. Because I've encountered hard things and Jesus didn't leave me. And these kind of leaders don't even really have to tell their story all the time. People just hear the confidence in their voice to believe that Jesus is real and other people build on the faith of that leader. There's this thing about signs and wonders, which Paul mentions in this verse in Romans. And all that means is that these kinds of leaders, there tends to be the quality of the supernatural around them in different ways that makes people think whatever's happening has its origin in God. And notice that, that it's not about having its origin in the person. That the purpose of the signs and wonders is not to confirm the person. It's to confirm the work of God right? That's happening. It's to confirm that Jesus is alive, that his promises are real, that he's still extending his hand on the earth today, right? And this church planner in our district said to me, people love that seeing Jesus part. They love that signs and wonders part, but the suffering part. <laughs> 
And there are apostolic leaders today who want to embrace the first two without the third. But it's interesting, another sermon for another time, when the Apostle Paul's own apostolic credentials get challenged by the church in Corinth, you can read about it in First and Second Corinthians, he does not hold out to them that he has performed more miracles than the teachers who are trying to infiltrate the church. He does not hold out to them the quality of his revelation as proof that he's a more powerful apostle. What he holds out to them as his resume for the whole thing is the list of sufferings that he has endured for the sake of Jesus. And I can tell you, I don't really know a powerful apostolic leader who hasn't been formed in the crucible of suffering, who doesn't have a capacity to suffer with Jesus and to say that he's still good, to say that he's still working in the world, who say that you can see it in their personal, a lot of apostolic leaders, you get to know them personally, you will find oftentimes a deep story of suffering that seems to contradict how God is using them in the world. It's crazy. This is just my observation. But it will often look like, oh, they have all this grace out there, but it's like in their own life, they can't find that grace. And this suffering like keeps coming to them. What it is, you know how this manifested in Jesus' life? Him being on the cross and people shouting him at the cross, he can't save himself, right? That's part of apostolic gifting, right? Is this thought that, look, he's, moving, he's healing all these people, but his own son is sick. Look, he's starting mission in all these communities, but his own family isn't saved. You'll find that kind of thing a lot in apostolic leaders, but it's part of how God is forming them. But then, because mission is an enterprise of love, and we go into the hurting places of this world, and we lay our lives down there, and we die there, and that's what apostolic movement is all about. If we don't suffer in our personal lives, we'll suffer out there in the pain of this world. We'll suffer out there with other people, as God calls us. Okay, is this helpful? Is this clear? All right. What if someone shouted out, no, you could. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do, but <laughs> I'd be like, talk to me after. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Email Steve.Rossi. <laughs> He'll answer all your questions. All right. Okay. All of that is great. But here's the thing I'm most excited to share with you this morning as I was praying for you. All right. And, and you know, in the Greenhouse Network at the lab, we break this stuff down in lots of different ways. You know, John hosts these calling labs. If you want to go deeper into this, you can hear about that stuff. We hold these little mini conferences twice a year. We break this stuff down for you. You'll hear it a lot if you come around us. Although I think this is the first time we're breaking it down this way on a Sunday morning. Um, but when I think of this, especially because of the suffering part, and maybe especially because this is a week, at least you know, where I'm still rooted in Aliquippa. I'm involved in all these communities, you know, now elsewhere. But I'm still rooted in Aliquippa, living in Franklin Avenue. This is one of those weeks for me, I don't know about you, I'm like, is this working? Like, is anything we're doing working? Like, like how many youth programs are we going to hold and relationships are we going to build and how many times are we going to weep in prayer on the carpet of this room and other rooms and still have weeks like this? So this is what it's like to be on mission with Jesus, friends. I want to tell you, this is what it's like. If you think the whole thing is going off the rails, you need to understand this is just what it's like to follow Jesus on mission. Now, I feel it differently at this point in my ministry, and let me tell you why. Because most apostolic leaders have a season where they do a lot of it alone. And they see a lot of the suffering alone. And it's hard to even describe it to other people. But then God begins to build a family on mission. And now there's lots of people who see it. And now there's lots of people who experience it. And now there's lots of people who are experiencing the ups and downs. And I feel the pressure of it differently sometimes. Because I'm like, are people going to quit? Like, are we going to give up on the mission because it feels like it's not working? Like, how are we going to take a next step? And I don't even know what to say. You know, because I'm feeling it too. It feels like it's not working. I learned from a friend that in times like this, when it feels like it's not working, what we need is mystical theology. And let me tell you all that that means. Even sociologists talk about this in different, in different ways. But all it means is we have to decide what story we're going to tell ourselves. And we're probably going to have to find that story, not in the seen places, 
Because especially on weeks like this, what we're seeing doesn't look too good. Right? How are you going to build a story out of hope, out of what we've seen in the news this last week? How are you going to do that? How am I going to do that? It's not going to happen. So we have to look at what's unseen and find our story there and start telling it to ourselves and start saying it to each other and start singing it and start shouting it until we believe it or else we're going to quit. We're going to give up. I was thinking about this. Like why, why would someone have an ambition to preach the gospel, to lay a foundation where it has not yet been preached in a neighborhood, a nation, in a network of relationships? Why would God call people to that? I could take the whole sermon to Romans 10, verse 14. I think it's going to be up here on the screen. Where Paul says, he gives one of the reasons why he wants to go to the next place. I don't have it here. It says, how then... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, unless they are an apostle, unless there's apostolic movement? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I could bring the rest of this sermon from that passage today and say, here's why we need to be saved. Here's why we need to keep on going. It's because people don't know. It's because they haven't heard. Friends, I don't know if you realize this, but we have baptized so many people that before their baptism, nobody ever told them who Jesus was. Like they'd been around Christians a lot. In American society, things are changing, but you can still be around Christians a lot. I I'm friends with someone who was like, Joel, he grew up in a home that didn't name or believe Jesus, a different religion actually. And he said, Joel, when I was like 17 years old, they started inviting me to a youth group. And I attended this youth group for a year before anybody sat down and told me who Jesus was. And he was like, I was in such a broken, desperate place. I would have given my life to Jesus on week one if someone would just told me. But he was like, oh, and he's an evangelist now. Actually, he's who just led the Asbury revival. But he said, but he said to me, he said, listen, um, like, these Christians, they don't realize that people don't know. <laughs> they don't realize that people haven't heard. That we're surrounded by people who literally do not know the basic narrative that is shaping our lives, making our decisions, forming the environment that we raise our kids in, defining our relationships with each other. We're surrounded by people who don't know. And this is not the sermon I'm preaching today, but I could preach a whole sermon on this. On people not knowing. But on weeks like this, that's not enough for me. I'm going to set that down. <laughs> Listen, on weeks like this, that's not enough for me. Because I'm out here looking at people, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how we're going to get the gospel out quick enough. I don't know how we're going to make a difference. I don't know how. And so on weeks like this, the people sermon, which is a good sermon, but the people sermon, where we get all compassionate about people not knowing and about the nations not hearing and the need to send mission. On weeks like this, that sermon doesn't get me through. I need another sermon. One that's more mystical. One that's more unseen. A story that I can start to tell myself that's saying this is worth it. So here's the story I came in with this morning, okay? I'm going to try to break this down real quick and I'm going to be done. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to be done, all right? Let me, let me just set it up for you this way. All throughout the New Testament, the Bible uses this language of rulers, authorities, principalities, and powers. And there's some other words mixed in there too. It's a collection, a constellation of words that describe individuals or beings who hold power in empire. But here's a big difference about the way people in the Bible, and really most of the people in the world today, see the world and the way we see the world as inheritors of Western scientific naturalism, right? As believing the only thing that's real is what you can see and touch and observe, right? We have inherited educational traditions that put a lot of stock in believing what we can see and touch and feel, right? But most cultures in the world, and certainly the biblical writers, believed in what you could see and touch and feel, 
but believed that there was a corresponding reality, a spiritual reality behind all these things of demons and angels and gods and goddesses. That's what most people in the world today still believe. We're the odd ones in all of history that we don't think that's normal, right? It's interesting, you know, over the years, America has sent missionaries, praise God, all over the world. Our church has been part of that. But it's very, it's very easy for our missionaries, if they haven't thought through this, to step into a culture where people believe that behind that rock is a spirit and behind that tree is a spirit and just try to convert them to Western ways of thinking. Like, no, you don't need to be afraid because there's no spirit behind that tree, no spirit behind that rock. I would say that's not what the Bible says. The Bible is actually like, no, there's spirits. That, you know how like in the West, because you don't want to seem too weird, everyone's like, I don't see a demon behind every rock. I'm like, the Bible does. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like every dang rock. <laughs> you know, like, like this is how they saw the world, right? Was that there's these corresponding spiritual realities, good angels and bad angels behind everything. We're the odd ones for not being able to see it. But if we're to take the scripture at face value, then we would understand that when the Bible talks about rulers and powers and authorities, sometimes they're talking about people. Caesar, King Herod, uh, governors, Pilate, some of these people in the New Testament. Sometimes they're talking about like actual people. Sometimes they're talking about the seat that that person holds in authority and power. So think about how we do this in American politics. You can talk about Joe Biden, or in his place, you can talk about the White House, right? And we, if you were to say the White House said this today, I would know what you meant, right? Because it's a seat of authority. And no matter who's there, they carry that authority. Sometimes the New Testament uses that language. But sometimes the New Testament talks about unseen demons and angels, good and bad that are rulers and authorities in the background, that are influencing nations, that are influencing Pilate, influencing Caesar, and sometimes have gained so much power in a place. And listen, I, I don't know. To me, I don't want to lose you. Oh, I don't want to lose you. But this is important for me this week because I need to try to understand why kids are dying in our streets. Sometimes there's places of power and authority and influence in culture, in music, in our politicians, in all these places that are actually owned by the demons themselves. So that no matter who steps into that place, they fall under the influence of that if they're not in Christ. And demons begin to exercise authority multi-generationally in cultures, right? By getting lies so entrenched in some of the nooks and the crannies of culture, right? So that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about rulers and authorities. Now, this is the story I'm telling myself this week. First of all, and I'll tie this all together for you, I promise. First of all, that angels and demons, good and bad angels, are not omniscient. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-10. through 10. I'm going to tie this back to being apostolic in a minute. Just follow me. Paul says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about a human governor? Is he talking about a demon? We're actually not sure in this passage. The age of, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. What was God's wisdom? How is God going to make this right? How is God going to make it right that people are dying in our streets? What's the wisdom of God? Is it a plan of morality? Is it a new church denomination? What's the wisdom of God? The wisdom of God is a person who is Jesus. But look what Jesus is called here. A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Let's continue to read. It says on the next slide, I think, or I'm going to get there on my phone real quick. I'm going to see what happens first. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think about this. If demons knew that Jesus dying on the cross was going to liberate you and me, would they have nailed him there? And then think about the human manifestation. Do you think 
that if the Jewish and Roman authorities who were involved in Jesus' crucifixion knew that his death would spark a worldwide movement that would last 2,000 years, do you think they would have done it? See, what we learn here is that the principalities and the powers which are raging to kill people in whole cultures didn't see it. They didn't perceive it. They're not omniscient. You want know to say when omniscient, all-knowing? God is all-knowing. Angels, good and bad, don't know. It turns out they were surprised by Jesus. It turns out that the bad demons thought that when Jesus died on the cross, it was over. I don't know what the good angels thought, you know? But they were all surprised, right? And the Lord of glory got crucified. This is why Paul quotes then out of Isaiah, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. So let's talk about Jesus' apostolic ministry then. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I'm, I feel like I'm preaching a little long. Just hang on. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever considered this or not, that Jesus didn't just proclaim good news to you and me and to the world in which he lived in. Jesus also evangelized angels. Look at 1 Timothy 3.16. Where this is a hymn of the early church, we think. Paul says, beyond all question, the mystery, there it is again, which true godliness, from which true godliness springs is great. And here's the hymn that the early church probably sang, like we sang today in church. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, and emphatically was seen by angels, was preached among the nations. Do you see this? Jesus was sent to reveal the will of God to you and me, to people among the nations, but he was sent to on-looking angels too. Because the good ones couldn't have guessed it. The bad ones definitely couldn't have guessed it. That it was through this man who washed feet, through this man who welcomed the sinner, through this man who gave up his body to the cross, that it was through this man that God would overturn all of these rulers and authorities. He was seen by angels. Now this is where it gets exciting for me, let's look at one more passage from Paul, Ephesians 3, verse 7. If Jesus evangelized angels, it means we are too. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. I became a servant of this gospel. He's talking again about his apostolic calling. I became a servant of this gospel. And, and by the way, that's all an apostle is, is a servant. All an apostle is, forget all the titles and I'm in charge of big ministries and all that stuff. If you've seen that stuff, I'm sorry. We apostles are at the end of the parade. The trajectory of an apostolic life is typically into obscurity. Think about how Paul ends up in jail and then martyred. That's because of the weight of the anointing on his life, right? I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. And look, look how he conceives of himself. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people. His grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Now, there's that word mystery again. What's God up to in the world? What's he doing? What's the mystery that God has involved? Well, to make plain to everyone. Well, who's the everyone? Well, let's look at the next verse. Which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Look at this. This gets me excited. His intent was that now through the church, that's you and me, the manifold wisdom of God. Who's the wisdom of God? Jesus. Should be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities. And here it's clear who he's talking about. He's not talking about Pilate. He's not talking about Caesar. In the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, here's, here's the picture to tie it all up, and I'm going to tell a story. This world is filled with unseen spirits, good and bad. They work in government, the bad ones work in governments and communities and institutions of power, and yes, even the institutions we build as Christian people. They work in all of those places to create bondage and destruction in the lives of people. It's what we've inherited as people who have rebelled against God. The world is filled with these beings who are working to kill us right now. And Jesus and his cross was a surprise to them. God kept it hidden until the mystery. Oh, prophets said things, but like no one saw it coming. 
you know? Like, God snuck up on him with Jesus, you know? It was like, you didn't see this coming, did you? A boy in a manger? You didn't see it, did you? God washing people's feet? You didn't see it. You couldn't have perceived it. You didn't guess it, that this is how God would show up. As a vulnerable, weak man who would die on a cross. Demons couldn't have guessed that one. Much less Pilate, much less Caesar, much less us. But this is the surprise that we say to each other every Christmas, every Easter, that this mystery, the wisdom of God, has been revealed to us, right? And it's not at all what we, what we would have expected. And God help us if the story ever becomes, you know, expected or not surprising. Or, man, God help us. That's what, because angels didn't perceive this, right? And now we keep surprising demons. We keep surprising angels. Why? Because we keep showing up in a place, a network, a neighborhood, a nation. And we say, this is what Jesus looks like here. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And scripture tells us that both angels and demons often can't perceive it in advance. They're like, oh, that's what the kingdom of God looks like in Aliquippa. I wouldn't have guessed it. I spoke at the vigil of one of these young men a few days ago. I said, I never want to go to another vigil again. Let me be clear. But let me also say this, that there, the task of the group of ministers that showed up, Aliquippa is a special place. You know, this group of people, I didn't even know I was going to speak until I showed up there. And a group of people shows up that's been doing this for a long time together. And we represent different cities and, I mean, sorry, not different cities, different churches and different ministries and different organizations. But, but we didn't need a meeting beforehand. It's like, let's do this thing. Let's miss. And what's our task in that moment? You know, as I'm saying something, some of you know Tina, as Tina says something, as our mayor says something, what's the task in that moment? It's to say, hey, demons, you think you got us? Let me tell you something. Demons are so predictable. Not creative. They kill children. That's what demons are like. It's predictable. We get to surprise them. We get to say, we're standing in the street here tonight, and we're putting unseen spirits on notice that this is what the kingdom of God looks like in this place. This is what it looks like when God shows up in a city. This is what it looks like. And every time it surprises them, because demons are so uncreative, because always grasping for power is a really uncreative thing. It's what every empire has been on, but serving. When you're willing to go low, when you're willing to serve, all kinds of new opportunities will begin to happen. And it's like demons can't anticipate it. Now, let me just give you, like, this is, this is for free, and I really got to wrap up. But listen, but listen, it's like, it's like, um, it's one of the reasons why, like, church and ministry and being a Christian, all that stuff, when we just fall into routines, dead religion, we lose our ability to outwit unseen spirits. And they're watching us. And they begin to plan and conspire, and they because they know what we're going to do next. Because we're not creative. We st why are we uncre uncreative? Because we stop listening to the Lord. We stop saying the wisdom of God is not our tradition. The wisdom of God is not how we did it 10 years ago. The wisdom of God is not what we think we know now. That's not the wisdom. The wisdom of God is a person whose name is Jesus, and he can say anything he wants to today. And so long as we do what he's saying, we keep demons on their toes. They don't know how to anticipate that. They don't know. It's when things become routine. It's when we stop listening that they begin to mess with us and even get embedded in our religious system. Okay, John, if you could come up, I'm going to wrap up here. I've held you too long, but I don't get to preach here very much. <laughs> oh, perfect. In that case, I have another page of notes. Just teasing. I was thinking about, okay, what's a time that I was really feeling apostolic grace. So here's, here's a recent time for me. I'm just going to break this down for you. Um, recently, a friend of mine got stabbed multiple times 
Um, he's a guy who's really close with me in Chelsea, lived with us for a good long while. And it was one of those things like wrong place, wrong time, and got stabbed. Now, this dude is strong. Some of you know him. Strong dude. Like, not the dude to try to stab, you know? So he actually got stabbed three times before he laid out his attacker with one punch, right? <laughs> but then had to, you know, get to the hospital and stuff. And anyway, I find out about this through social media. And, and uh, as soon as I found out where he was, he'd been released from the hospital. He was at home. And I was like, I got to go see him. I mean, Chelsea and I just love this guy. So, so it's like 11 o'clock at night. If you want to know what it like feels like to be apostolic, I hold this out to you. And some of you have these kinds of stories. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm driving to see my friend. I pull up on an apartment building across the river. I'm not even going to name the town. I, I pull up in this apartment, and I'd been there once before because another friend who I talked to last week um, that I hadn't heard from for a long time, one time relapsed on crack in this apartment building. And me and Devante actually went to go visit him that night while he was in the middle of that. Now, let me just point something out here. You know where apostolic ministry happens? It happens in places like this. Because here's something demons never anticipate. See, when Christians get all like, oh, we're going to take the most powerful things for ourselves, and we're going to be in charge of other people, and we're going to, like when Christians get that way, it's not surprising to demons. Because they actually play the same game. <laughs> Let me tell you what's surprising when we look at a river valley and we think, where's Jesus showing up? Maybe in these apartments where people are overdosing on crack and people are recovering from stab wounds. And that's just an example I'm giving. It's where I have grace. But listen, in your apartment building, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, I can tell you pretty confidently that where Jesus is emerging today is on the margins with the poor. See, Human rulers, like animated by demons, are always trying to hold on to more and more and more. So they try to grasp more power, more money, all this stuff. But it's such a, it's such a farce because they can, they're not all powerful. They can't hold everything into their hands. So they drop things out of their hands, and those things end up on the margins. And whole communities end up on the margins. Empire has left them behind, and it's where Jesus begins to emerge. It's where, if we have eyes to see him, the mystery, the wisdom of God begins to be made manifest. So I'm here in this apartment. I visit him. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. He says something to me that's clear evidence that God is working in his life in a really powerful way. There's a testimony out of it. We like to say here at the tab, you're in it for the stories. I come back with a story to tell Chelsea about how I see God working in this guy's life. He's healing well, by the way. He's almost back to normal. But when I think of being apostolic, I think of this. And here's why. Because it's at the margins. I'm alone. I don't, I don't talk about this stuff like widely. But a lot of my ministry has been alone in the car at night like that. Um, and I, you know me. I try to take as many people as I can with me. But if you're apostolic, you're going to end up out there alone. And it will be something you have to navigate with Jesus. You will feel very alone for whole seasons. And it's, let me tell you, it's a stinging, painful kind of loneliness because people won't perceive it because you're around a lot of people. But there's a loneliness in seeing pain. There's a loneliness in witnessing where God is working on the margins. But in that, God is laying the foundation for movement in Western PA. Why? Well, here's why. Because if you're an apostolic leader, here's how God will form movement through you. He will form your heart. He'll take you to places where you'll love people on the margins. He'll take you to places alone to see where God is at work. And as he changes you, you'll have something genuine and authentic to give to other people. As a matter of fact, you won't be able to help it. Because it won't be like an apostolic program, like we're unveiling an apostolic program, you know, in the church. What it, what it will be is the fruit of what's in your heart and life spilling out to other people. And then as I drive off, I'm asking myself this question. If Jesus were king of that apartment building, what would it look like? 
if Jesus were to manifest to demons the mystery of God, what it looks like for him to rule in this apartment, but what would it look like? Now, next week, I think you're going to hear about the prophetic. God often speaks through prophetic leaders with dreams and phenomena and all this stuff, and we need it. We need it. But apostolic leaders, God often speaks to them just in the doing and the knowing. I have very few spiritually significant dreams, but I do step foot into neighborhoods, and I think Jesus wants to manifest himself here. I don't know what it looks like. God, give me your imagination. If it's hidden to angels, it's hidden to me. So bend my ear to hear what you're saying in this neighborhood, and then use my hands, my feet, my prayers, until we see you manifest in this place. And that's what's happening in Carrick. We're asking the question, what does it look like if Jesus is king there on those streets? It's what it looks like in the city of Pittsburgh. I was with some Spanish-speaking leaders this last weekend, and we're asking the question, what does it look like for the kingdom of God to manifest among immigrants? It's what it looks like among veterans. It's what it looks like among children at Aliquip Impact. In all of these places, we are surprising demons as we make our hands and our feet. That will keep me going another week. Because I'm angry at some demons right now. So I'd like to put them on their feet a little bit. I put them running. I'd like to make it so that they don't know how, what to do next, right? But we do that by listening to what he's saying, all right? Okay, I'm going to end this way. Friends, I feel God's anointing in this room. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I wasn't planning on doing this, but it's what I'm feeling. If you know this is what's stirring in you, if you know that it's like, and it doesn't mean that you're, you might be a teacher, but you know you're a teacher in apostolic movement. You might be a pastor, but you know you're a pastor in apostolic movement. If there's something in you fresh today that's like, God, I want my hands, my feet to be available. I want my family's hands and feet to be available for the nations, for the neighborhoods, for the next thing that God's calling me to. If that's you, on a, and this is my personality, I'm a gatherer. If that's you, um, I want to gather up here, all right? I want to be together, especially on a week like this. And if there's just something in you that's like, yes to this, then would you get up out of, out of your seat and would you just stand up here with me and we're going to pray. Hey, Jim, I think we're going to need this again. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power yours is the glory forever amen yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory forever There's an army rising. Oh, there's an army rising. 
there is power in the name of Jesus. Oh, there is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break it all. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. All right. We talk about this anointing, that anointing. Oh, he's so anointed. But let me tell you from the scriptures, what I can say confidently over all of you is that Jesus's anointing was to preach good news to the poor, was to give recovery of sight to the blind, to set the prisoner free, to release the captive, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's his anointing that matters, not the anointing of a pastor or a church. It's his anointing that matters. And he is anointed for all of this. And so, Lord, we just allow your anointing to drip on us. There's only one foundation we build on, and the foundation is Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for building on our ideas. Forgive us for building on the wisdom of the world, forgive us for building on the wisdom of demons. But we've all done it. We've fallen to it before. But you surprised us all. And God, we are so grateful that you were nothing like what we expected. If you were a savior like we had expected, we wouldn't have been saved. There might have been a revolt in the Roman Empire. But our souls wouldn't have been saved. There wouldn't have been a kingdom that invaded earth. There wouldn't have been healing. There wouldn't have been an alternate society that we now call the church. You're so much better than the things we come up with. And so, Jesus, we just bend ourselves to you once again. You're anointing your call. And, Lord, I pray that you would make this fresh and tangible in the lives of people here. God, where we've gotten routine, where we're doing the, the program, the outreach, the worship service, because that's how we've always done it. God, we pray that you would allow us to hear what the Spirit is doing in our time, how you're getting ready to surprise demons next. And God, let us hear it and perceive it and obey and follow you. And Lord, we might not know exactly what it looks like, but we know that to follow you is to probably go lower, is to probably suffer, is to probably become more of a servant, and so, God, we ask for grace in those places. Lord, we tell you it's hard. But, Jesus, you called us into what you've done. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross. So fill us with joy, God, as you take us into the broken places of this world. God, I bless this house, the gospel tab, the apostolic witness that has been here and is coming forth from here and that they are connected to. And, God, I pray over this dear family that I love. Lord, that this would be just a continuation of the energy and excitement and dreams, God, that would come from this place as people yield themselves to you. God, we don't care if we're remembered. Make us obscure, but make your name great, Jesus. Make your name great. And God, on that final day, when everything is burned up and what's hay and straw is burned away, God, we pray that we would find that we have built on the foundation that is Jesus. Lord, whether it makes us great or not, whether we suffer or not, whether we get noticed or not, Lord, we want to live for that day when you have fire in your eyes and you're looking at us and we want to present something that will last for all of eternity. So God, I pray over every sister, every brother here, the fullness of their calling, God, as we're talking about this fivefold thing, let identity spring forth. And God, take them in this next season. God, just do it, Lord. Just take them into the next season of what you have for them, the next ministry design, God, the next way to serve. And for those who the next just means to continue plotting and serving where you've planted them, God, give them grace, strengthen their hands and their minds for what you've called them to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.